1: Welcome to Invest Talk. Above Average Investing for the Average Investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have as long as they're financial. 888 99 is our number 888-992-4278. Jason, San Diego, how are you doing, Jason? Good, good. I recently
2: changed jobs and I rolled my 401k over into a IRA. Mm -hmm. and it's got about $14,000 in it, and that's about all the investments that I have. Now Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what do I do with it. It's not really enough money that I feel like I should invest in individual stocks. Do I buy Mm -hmm. a mutual fund or a couple mutual funds, or what do I do with about $14,000?
1: You buy several mutual funds, not one, not two. Maybe at $14,000, I would probably buy maybe four. Okay. Okay. If you're in a 401k, you may not have many, many choices though.
2: Well, I rolled it over into an IRA now that oh, I changed okay. jobs. Okay. Okay. Well, that's why I'm wondering what do I do? I only had limited choices before.
1: Right. Okay. And
2: now uh, it's wide open.
1: Okay. I would roll it over into either Fidelity Investments, you know, with, with all the Fidelity mutual funds. They have a program, a no load, no transaction fee program over there where you can buy any no load mutual fund, not just Fidelity, all uh-huh. of them. And so does Schwab. They have what's called a Schwab One program that does the same thing. I'm not pushing one company over another. I don't you know, I don't have an ax to grind either way. Sure. But they have programs that you can buy a number of mutual funds, no load, and no transaction fee. The problem they have, though, is there's usually a holding period, which I don't like. 90 days. You can't sell it within 90 days of your purchase. But you're probably not going to sell it that soon. But, you know, for me, I don't like the restrictions but for you it'll probably be fine then once you do that you want to pick some good funds some very good funds where's the custodian now jason
2: scott trade now
1: okay scott trade is not a bad place to be you can buy mutual funds in scott trade even if you buy no load funds Mm -hmm. they might charge you a trading fee it's called a transaction fee find out what that is okay and my guess will be between 20 and 30 dollars you can do it from Scottrade. Just find no load, no transaction fee funds.
2: They've got a list of hundreds of funds okay. that are like that, that say that they're in their program with no commission or fee. Or Oh,
1: anything. perfect. They don't have a transaction fee?
2: Well, they've got a list of funds that don't, and it's a pretty respectable list.
1: Then you're going to pick from that list, Jason, because I guarantee you there's at least four of them over there that are pretty good quality funds. Look for a good mid cap and maybe small-cap growth and value. And also, one of your four picks should be a international fund. Okay. Maybe 20% in the international.
2: Because I had debated over whether to have four funds like you just mentioned or just get one total market or S M 500
1: or some... I understand that. And one of your funds could be an index fund. That's not a problem. If you're sticking with the market for long-term, index funds are fine. I would suggest, though... That you can probably do a little bit better if you find a good good manager of the mutual funds. So go to Morningstar.com and check out the funds. See what their ratings are. See how they're done against their peer group. Are they always in the top tier of their peer group? If they are, that's the fund you want.
2: When you look at the Morningstar, and they have four- and five-star funds, some folks have told me that five-star fund is maybe all played out and that you might want to look for a good four-star fund. Is that correct or no?
1: I'm right in line with those folks, whoever told you that. I like three- and four-star funds, the underachievers that are trying to be overachievers as opposed to the overachievers that have already achieved. I have found in my studies that five-star funds generally underperform going forward
2: should i be worried about the size of the fund at all
1: or no? yes Well you're asking some good questions i like not to have more than a couple of billion dollars i like to have a few hundred million dollars under management i don't like the big ones why because they become the whole market and you might as well buy an index fund yeah so stay away from the big guys okay well thank you very much thanks jason appreciate the call very good question see now that's a perfect question for everybody else to listen to it's a really good question
3: Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART.
2: Good morning. This is Duncan from New York. Thank you for all that you do. I have a question on your services. If we get a portfolio review and we still have a lot more questions, is there still a possibility where we can pay for the hour? I'm sure that would probably help a lot of listeners for other options, but just curious about that. Looking forward to the answer and have a great day. Bye. Uh,
4: Interesting question. Uh, We do portfolio reviews for our listeners all the time. I did one earlier today and we go over uh, the portfolios, different portfolios, put it into a report, uh, show the different sectors that uh, you're in, uh, what what you're overweight and underweight and give a, a sense of. From a big picture, which direction you should be moving, and then particular names that are are, are probably should be jettisoned, maybe others that um, you need to lean a little bit more on, etc. Um, and then maybe we become the advisor if that's not something that, that you want to do uh, yourself. Um, but for for client, there's no charge to that; it's free. Uh, but if you're a client, you can call us and, and reserve a time in my calendar whenever you want. So uh, that's something that is just part of being a client; it's just direct access to schedule a call with me. But Great question, and, and thanks for, uh, for, ma- for making it.
1: You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now.
5: In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads nearing 50 million, each Talk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download and hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley Stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real time data research and years of investing experience. 24 7, rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888 99Chart.
3: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, eight 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 ninety-nine chart, eight 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 ninety nine C H A R T and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Alan in San Francisco, he must talk about investing.
6: All right, Justin. Yes. Like if I wanted to see um if like an investor like Howard Marks, like what he was buying, like in, in real time i know that they they do that on the 13f reports but i was just wondering if there's a way like a website where like i could see what whale investors are um are buying in real time so i don't have to wait for the 13f report to come out i'm not sure if that's possible or not well
4: you're 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 not going to get it before the 13f that's these large investors they're not going to release their their purchases unless they have to and that's through the 13f uh, now, there are websites, Guru Focus is one, where they basically aggregate all the 13Fs, uh, but you are it's lag data, obviously. Um, but you're not going to get it before it's released in the 13F, most likely, unless you have some sort of insider at their, you know, their, their large uh, their large entities. So, um, and it's, it's nice to follow, but it's also uh, difficult to get in, right, when uh, you're never going to get in when they buy and and by the time you find out it it might be a higher price. So, um, you know, it's something to think about something to help guide you, but definitely never use that as gospel as well because every investor can be wrong. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. That, that helps a lot. I appreciate it. No problem Alan. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Jane in the Bay area.
6: Hello,
2: Justin.
4: Hi Jane. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing fine. I wanted to ask you, I got some cash sitting in the uh,
6: settlement fund at Vanguard. And um, I've been thinking about maybe investing that money. It's money just I
2: don't need. I just want for security reasons and whether I should invest in Treasury note, two-year or uh, short term.
4: Well, we don't love treasuries itself. Uh, if you're, if you want something that's super safe, I would be going and buying some of those mm-hmm. I bonds, right? $10,000 uh, a year. Uh, that's where I would probably start. Uh, you're going to get better than uh, treasury rates right now. And you're going to, um, you're going to at least get that for the next year. Whereas two year treasuries that could, you know, you could lock yourself into four, uh, but that's only two years. Um, and I think in I-bonds, you're going to get better over the next two years. So that's next that's year where year. I would go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it depends how much risk you want to take. Uh, th- that would be the low risk play. I think the best low risk play. Uh, if you want to go a little bit higher in the risk scale, I think high grade corporates going out four to seven years. Uh, yeah, That's yielding close to 7%. We're getting north of 7 uh, on a lot of those bonds. I think that's uh, another good place to be if you're trying to be relatively um, relatively conservative. Uh, then obviously you get into equities, that becomes uh, more of a risk there. Um, so it just depends on how much risk you you really want to take.
2: I don't really want to take risk on this one. Yeah. I just want to park in the safe place. Okay.
4: Yeah, then the safest, the, the best safe vehicle right now would be those those I-bonds. Uh, and then you could also buy Treasuries through TreasuryDirect.net. Uh, um, so maybe a little bit of those uh, would make sense if you if you're trying to deploy more than ten thousand uh, dollars. But if it's uh, if it's less, just do the I bonds. Anything more, you could do some short-term Treasuries. I don't I don't have a problem with that.
2: Because I have, well, I'm thinking about at least hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. So is that to buy I bonds? Well, I yeah, you. you
4: can Yeah, I guess you can If you're doing eight hundred thousand, you're not going to uh, get a whole lot um, uh, of I bonds for that. Um, once again, two year your treasuries, you're going to lock in four percent for two years, but that's about it. Uh, we rather at these levels lock in longer term, uh, taking a little bit more risk in high grade corporates uh, and get double the nearly double the yield. Um, and you know because the odds of a rate cut by the Fed over the next year or two. Uh, it's pretty high. So the fact in two years, when if you buy a, 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 a two-year treasury at 4% now, in two years when that matures, the odds of you getting 4% again are fairly low. So I think you're going to be better served by taking a little bit of risk, a little bit, by buying high-grade corporates and getting that 7%.
2: Gentlemen, John from Texas, appreciate what y'all do. Y'all are the consistent part of my day, thank you. Question on volume and and really just capitulation. So if you're looking at a stock chart and some of the data on it, when, you, when you're looking for capitulation, is there a, a general rule as to where what you're looking at, say, volume is three times the average all of a sudden that day or compared to you know, that day versus three months, what are you looking for on a capitulation-type day, and where do you find it? Like, if you if you didn't get to look at the market for a day or two and you saw a big movement, so you go to research it, where do you look for that volume, and how do you know what really truly is? Is it two times, three times the amount that the activity of the investors is showing you? Okay, you know, sentiment is this and that. What do you look for in terms of volume and capitulation? Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care.
4: Well, you pretty much nailed it. Uh, it's typically about three to four times the average daily volume, and we look back about fifty days. For example, I just have a Signature Bank still up from the previous caller. The average daily volume on that is about uh, call it eight hundred thousand shares. So, if you had two point five million plus uh, in a particular day, and it was you know trading down big because uh, this is in a downtrend, right, uh, and and maybe reverse, you so you want to you want to probably get some sort of reversal as well. Not just that it's down and stays down. You want you want it to be down and in reverse. You know, remember, like we talked about at the top of the show, uh, two Thursdays ago, uh, you had that big down day and reversal on, on big volume on the, on the S&P. Uh, that was a capitulation type of day. Um, so this is, yeah, you want to look at three to four times average daily volume. Okay, thanks for the call.
1: You're listening to Invest Talk everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888-99 chart. Beginning our experience, we're here to answer your questions.
3: Listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99 chart, 888 99 chart and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
0: Hi, Steve Justin. Hi, Steve. This is Joyce from New Jersey. Thank you for a very informative show. Could you please give your opinion about NEA tax exempt municipals? in a taxable account which pays a nice dividend. Again, thank you for a great podcast.
4: All right. I'll start with the first question which is tax exempt municipals in a taxable account. This is typically best for if if you're in a high tax bracket. Pretty much the highest. You have to you have to make a lot of money, be very wealthy and just paying, you know, a marginal rate of 50%. Typically, for you know your well, it depends on what state you're in, but let's call it you know the, the highest federal tax bracket, and then those are usually fairly good investments if you're smart about it. I don't I don't know what exactly uh, municipals you're we looking at, but um, that's typically only who it's good for. Why is because those that are very wealthy and are in that high tax bracket, they're going to drive prices of munis up. To a level where the yield is so lo- low that it's tax advantage for them, but if you're not in the highest tax bracket, you would much rather be in taxables, pay that lower tax rate, and your effective yield is typically going to be higher, right? Whereas them, if the, the, those 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 in the high tax bracket, they don't want to buy those taxables because you know their effective tax rate will be probably uh, at or lower than what their municipals are, are yielding them. Okay, so only if you're in a very high tax bracket.
7: Okay. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where they describe their services as independent thinking, shared success. And this philosophy is why KPP Financial can be of great value to investors. KPP Principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are committed to unbiased guidance. They don't upsell clients into expensive and questionable investments. Instead, Steve and Justin provide honest opinions and proven strategies based on the individual's current portfolio and risk tolerance. Working with KPP Financial, you can be assured of consistent dedication toward the goal of helping you achieve financial freedom. You can get things started with a phone call or a simple message Through investtalk.com. The Invest Talk radio and podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with your questions. 888 99 Chart. Hi, Stephen Justin. I've been listening for a long time
6: to your show and I've learned a lot. Really appreciate it. Recently sold a house, and what I'm doing with the proceeds of the house is I've decided to buy corporate bonds and hold them to maturity. Merrill Lynch has a secondary bond market where I buy bonds from people who already owe them. And my question is, when I look at the bonds available on the secondary market, can I trust basically that whether I'm
4: paying above par or below par, and after I pay accrued interest, can I trust
6: that if I just hold that bond to maturity? And if not, can you tell me what to look for when I'm shopping on the secondary market? Okay. Thanks very much.
1: Yeah. On the secondary market, you're looking for yield to maturity. Yield to maturity, you're not looking at just the plain yield. Oh, it pays 5%, pays 7%, pays 2%. No, you want it because you you can be paying above par or below par for the bond, right? Par is what they initially issued the bond for as a $10,000 bond, 5% for five years. You get exactly that, 5% for five years, and you get the money back. But after the market, in the secondary market, after the bonds have been issued, people can trade them, and they do. So. The number one item that you're looking at is what is my yield to maturity? How much money, whether I pay above par or below par, will I earn if I hold it to maturity? How much will I how much will I yield per year for that bond? So, yield to maturity—that's what, that's what you, you're looking for. Yield to maturity, not just the plain yield. Okay, very important, very very important when you buy bonds. Bonds are a little tricky. But, you know, don't buy junk. Try to stay away from junk. Uh, the sweet spot is probably triple B in that area. Uh, I, I, that's where I like to be because you get your, mostly your highest yield, not taking a lot of risk, but just barely above below uh, investment grade because most companies don't go bankrupt. You'll still get your money, that kind of thing.
4: Now, let's move back to the stock Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier at eight 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 ninety nine chart Yes, hi there. I have a question
2: about CD rates. My brokerage firm is offering 4.55 12-month CDs and a 24-month 4.7% CDs, both non-callable. And wondering if this is the time to lock in or should I wait till next month to see what the feds do? All right, Thanks.
4: Well, the Fed will raise rates, but I think uh, uh, next month, but it's going to probably have a minimal impact on CD rates. Uh, But it probably will have a, they probably will go up um, some. And you are looking at the right time, I think, to lock in those rates because I think they're very close to the end. This might be the last, it's very potentially uh, the last Fed rate hike for this cycle, especially if you start to continue to see economic data like you had a, a from the Kansas City uh, Manufacturing Index today. And so if you're trying to be super safe, not take any any risk, I'd probably wait until after the Fed rate hike um, to lock that in.
1: But understand, that's locked in. You can call right now be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now.
4: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, h e r o n e c o m hacker1.com
3: You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though 888-99 chart 888-99 chart and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
6: Hi, I have a question for Steve or Justin
1: concerning real estate. I'm thinking about putting investment property on the market, but I was told to possibly get more people interested is to offer carrying back a loan. So I just wanted to see what your thoughts are on that, what the pros and cons are in doing that because the interest rate is so high that i guess potential buyers would be having a negative cash flow on the property and i would rather not carry a loan back but just wanted to see what your thoughts are in this environment so or also just wait until interest rates go back down i'll be listening to the answer on your show thank you
4: well, you could do that. And that is a, in a more normal market, that it's pretty common. You haven't seen that in a while because the cost of borrow has been so low. It's so been so easy to get uh, a loan that sellers don't need to do a, a carry back. Uh, basically what happens is you're now the lender, uh, meaning, Hey, they're contractually that the buyer is contractually obligated to pay you over a certain length of time. Uh, and that can vary. And sometimes that is a smart thing to do. Sometimes it's not very smart because the person buying your home is not a great credit. Uh, so it just completely depends on the deal, who it is, what are the terms of the deal, what are the interest rate you're getting, uh, etc. Uh now as long as it's backed by the home, right, that you can take the ownership of the home back, I think that's the number one parameter you should make sure you have. Uh, but you want to also make sure that uh, there's a good chance that this person will be able to fulfill the requirements uh, with that with that carry carryback. Um, so I wouldn't be against it, but make sure that the details are all in your favor and you're at least getting a reasonable interest rate to take that credit risk. Um, so definitely something to consider, uh, but the devil is always in the details. All right. Thanks for the call.
6: Hey guys, this is Matt from Merced. Just love the show and everything you guys do and find it very educational, so thank you. My question is about relative strength. Curious just how it's calculated and what length of time is typically used when they're calculating relative strength of a company versus the market, as well as what the near-term performance is. Typically, you know, if there's any statistics based on if a company has or 90 for relative strength or if it's lower do they typically underperform is there a sweet spot where you would find better near-term performance just curious any information you guys have on that and thank you again bye-bye
4: now it depends if you're what type of relative strength you're looking at uh, now rsi in a uh, chart form is typically Goes from thirty to seventy. Those are the kind of the major lines. If it's below thirty, it means it's oversold. If it's above seventy, it's overbought. So there's oftentimes, uh, if you're looking at a chart, uh, that's what that's what you're you're probably looking at. Um, so yeah, that's 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 called RSI, the RSI uh, index. So that's mainly a charting tool. It's one tool. I wouldn't use RSI in itself as a reason to buy or sell something. Uh, now it can give you some short-term indicators for a bounce or uh, that it's gonna pull back because it's overbought, but it's not something that I would tie my, my investment strategy to, my trading strategy. Uh, it's a secondary, frankly, probably a, a third level uh, consideration. There's a lot more important things uh, like chart pattern, volume, economic backdrop of the sector, etc., uh, that that are far more important than short-term RSI reading. So uh, I like that you're looking at it. It's something that we do have on our uh, on our charting, but it is kind of unique when we call it the stochastic RSI. So it's a, it's a little bit different. Uh, but it's on the bottom. It's not our first. Our first uh, indicator is MACD. Our second is volume and what we call Williams percent R. And then lastly would be our Get, st- get, st- get Stochastics uh, R- RSI, which is a proprietary uh, indicator. So all those things are helpful, but it's, on the, it's the last on the list. Let's just say that. So uh, that is RSI.
7: This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. Where principals and InvestTalk hosts, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are independent financial advisors. For clients, they are fiduciaries. Steve and Justin have a duty and a commitment to always place the interests of their clients ahead of the firm. This is different from the way many other organizations operate. And one way you can realize the benefit of an association with KPP Financial is to know that KPP practices parallel investing. This means that the personal investment accounts of KPP principals participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. It's an important difference. You can learn more anytime at investtalk.com or reach out to Steve Peasley and Justin Klein by emailing or calling their Irvine, California office. The Invest Talk radio and podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with questions. 888-99-CHART.
6: Hey Steve. My question coming from an early investor, pretty young here, but I guess I have some capital here in my uh, portfolio that I'm wondering kind of where and how to diversify it. I currently have um, Spy, Boo, Tesla, Apple, Google, Amazon, Walmart, And one of my favorites is Airbnb. I guess my question is, you know, what are some of your opinions? I know coming as an early investor, the market can be pretty scary. What do you think of those companies? I tried to keep a a little bit aggressive, but still have some type of safety in there as well. And regarding those companies, do you think there's any other companies that are out there that could provide some more growth, especially in the uh, tough markets we're in right now? Thank you. All right, now, you,
4: first off, you don't have, I think, enough positions uh, and you own Tesla, so I'd sell that immediately. Uh, the other one that I'd be more concerned about is Airbnb. Uh, we're in the down cycle. Uh, I'm just hearing a lot of anecdotes uh, in regards to the, the, the vacation rental market um, and that bookings are, have dropped off dramatically. And so many people, we, you know everyone says we have a housing shortage in this country. No, what we have is everybody investing in uh in vacation rentals because the yields are very high, fifteen, eighteen percent if they're if they're done well. But that's in good times. Now we're in bad times, so there's gonna be a lot of vacation rentals on the market. Probably that's a, a little thing about I think the housing market and uh, heavy Airbnb places. And Airbnb comes out with uh with with earnings, I believe this week or next week. So you're probably gonna get some color there on what type of, what where bookings are at. So uh, another name that is overvalued and I, I wouldn't uh, own at this time in this cycle. Um, now you're a young investor. And what I would first say is don't just get caught up in the big names. Uh, there's record, record divergence between the, uh, the large cap stocks, the names that you know, versus the small cap stocks. Uh, when i say divergence mean evaluation so the best opportunities are in that those smaller names and you're a young investor you have time to to to, uh deal with the volatility handle the volatility and you're going to find much better opportunities in smaller cap names now you're new so while you're going along like you're making a mistake in tesla right you've probably already made a mistake in airbnb so you need to back up if you want to just have a, uh, exposure to the market, those VOO, the SPY, you're, they're pretty much the same thing. So you shouldn't really own VOO and SPY, which are, for everyone else, VOO and SPY. Those are both S&P 500 index ETFs. Pick the one with the lowest fee and stick with that one and having your exposure that way. And then learn and then slowly maybe trim from that and and deploy it into some smaller names that uh, have better valuations, that are, are more interesting, have more upside, longer term than, than those big names. So. Don't be afraid to back up, learn a little, get your eyes wide open to all investment opportunities, not just the names that you know, uh, understand different sectors, and you'll be able to succeed a lot better than just sticking with those large cap names that everyone owns,
2: right? Hey Justin or Steve, I have a question about tax loss harvesting and the wash sale rule. I want to sell my position in ArcG, A-R-K-G, and use the tax loss and used the remaining uh, income to buy FHLC, which is the Fidelity Healthcare Fund. I was just wondering, are these two ETFs too similar where a wash sale rule would happen? We'll listen to your answer on the next podcast. Thank you so much
4: for
6: your help. Take care.
4: Absolutely not. I mean, ArcG is uh, filled with a bunch of crappy Ponzi stocks, even though it's in the uh, genomics and biotech. Uh, and there might be some slight overlap with this uh healthcare uh etf but you know the healthcare etf is going to be uh far more uh, weighted towards you know health uh, drug companies uh, actual drug companies that, that produce profits and and uh and dividends today uh as well as uh, you know like the united health cares of the world uh etc and the the, the uh, insurance companies so yeah it's definitely well different <laughs> enough you know i think what you're thinking of is if you go, for example, you sell SPY, which is an S&P 500 ETF, and you go buy VOO, which is also an S&P 500 ETF, just one's by Vanguard and one's by iShares, the same thing. That's drastically too close. Um, but just because it's roughly in the same healthcare space, very, very, very different types of, um, of companies within those. So... I, I think you're you're good on the wash rule there. Thanks for the call.
7: Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Eight
1: eight eight ninety nine chart Serena in Napa Valley, how you doing? Or in Napa, how you doing, Serena?
2: Hi, I'm a younger person. Okay. I recently worked at a job where they offered me um, the benefit of having a 401k plan and company stock. Great. Um, however, I've um, left that company in order to pursue higher income so I could support myself a little better.
1: Oh, that's always a good thing.
2: Yes. And now I have these teeny little balances. And I'm not sure if it would be uh, beneficial to me to keep it, roll it over, get a check, or what I should do.
1: Do not get a check, okay? Because okay. then you'll have to pay taxes on it immediately, and you probably got a higher-paying job, so you might be in a higher higher tax bracket. You don't definitely don't want to pay taxes on it. When you say "teeny," are you talking about under a thousand dollars?
2: Yes, I've got about 500 in 401k and about 300 in the company
1: stock. Okay. The company stock, is that in the 401k? Looks like it. If it's inside the 401k, I would probably sell those stock, and I'd roll that 401k into an IRA. Okay. It's very simple to do. You can go to a bank, you can go to Schwab, you can go to Fidelity, you can go to almost any one of those and say, hey, I have a 401k, I'd like to roll into an IRA, and they'll, they'll go out of their way to help you. Does
2: it cost anything to do that?
1: Free. Well, let me rephrase that. Sometimes the four oh one K people charge like thirty bucks or fifty bucks, but most of them do not. It's generally free. Okay. Okay. Then when it's in the IRA, you can put it in a money market, you can buy a mutual fund with it. You can add to it up to four thousand dollars a year. And if you're young and you do sound young, it would be Mm. wise to add to it. Does the new company offer four oh one K?
2: Um no, not yet.
1: Okay. So then I'd roll it into an IRA, move it out from where it is today, and just you can go to the bank and put it there if you wanted to. Okay. You know, use CDs. But don't take it because, you know, this is your retirement. You're going to build it over the years to come. Okay, perfect. Thank you for for the help. Thank you.
5: Hey, Steve and Justin, it's Steve Ogercon here from uh, New Hampshire. Love the show. Uh, Quick question for you, when you guys run your support and resistance numbers, can you give me a little bit of a debriefing on what you guys are exactly looking at so I can start looking at it myself too? I really appreciate it. Thanks.
4: Sure. There are a few factors that become support and resistance. Obviously moving averages, I typically like the 50 and the 100 day moving averages. I think those are uh, the most important moving averages. Some companies tend to find support more at the 50. Some companies tend to find more support around the 100. Just depends on the company, how volatile they are. So moving averages also are very important. Also, previous breakout areas. So if you look back in the chart and the, the price has been chopping sideways and the price had broken out above that, and now it's retesting that area, oftentimes that's very strong support as well. And then Previous pivot points. So you're talking about double bottoms, triple bottoms, etc. That can be strong support. And then lastly, Fibonacci levels. So Fibonacci retracement levels. I like to combine those with other factors as well. So this goes into chart reading, and chart reading is is more of an art than a science. And there are various factors that come into creating support and resistance. And really, it's about Being able to identify those various factors and the best ones line up two or more factors to create very strong support.
1: Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278.
7: The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk-alized quiz.
6: Hey, Stephen, Justin, it's Art from Tucson. I guess this is a question for Justin since um He's the one that recommended a while back the book the fourth turning by strauss and Howe are the authors since then i've listened to the book two times and i've gotten a written copy as well i was so impressed with it uh the book provides an incredible framework to view history with it's based on 80-year event cycles and generational composition cycles that react to these events the book was written in 1997 and it's validated Because of that, as far as I'm concerned, it completely predicted, in a general sense, at least the division and the angst of our current society, the pandemic, and the possibility for big world turmoil and and possibly war. So, my question is this according to the book, around 2025, the fourth turning should be concluded with either a favorable outcome in a new first turning or perhaps. An unfavorable outcome, and then who knows? So Justin, as one whose job it is to not predict the future, but I guess play probabilities on it, do you have any thoughts on how this fourth turning may conclude? And is there anything we could do as investors to prepare for an unfavorable fourth turning? Thanks for the book recommendation. Thanks for all you guys do. Yeah, I'd love to hear your reaction. To this and and your thoughts on on our near term, few year future. Bye. You're
4: right. The, a lot of the things that they discussed of what uh, the fourth turning would be, which uh, they prognosticated would be start around 20, 2005, five two thousand ten time period. It's never an exact date, but generally, and obviously, we had the financial crisis, and that precipitated this. Uh, this kind of lost a decade plus that we're that we're dealing with now. Uh, that's creating a rise in populism very similar to what you saw in the 30s. There was a rise in populism, slow economy, during the Great Depression, I guess you could say. Uh, And then you have the rise of populism that led to Hitler and World War II, et cetera. And so you have similar dynamics playing out today. Now, what that ultimately turns into, uh, it could be uh, a major one-time turning point, big event uh, like World War II, or it could just be something that kind of builds i think um but in the end i do think we're going to come into spring uh where things are better uh there's maybe less domination of politics by corporations um and maybe return uh there's some reform there uh that's a potential uh, it also could just simply be a new change in the world order. And that's really what it was right after world war II. It was the ushering in of the liberal world order. And that created the, the boom times of the fifties and sixties. And that was the first turning. And that's where there was a really high trust in institutions. And by the fourth turning, as you would know, now we're in a very low trust of institutions. So is the return of trust that could be very, it could be very positive. It could be something like, Hey, we're going to onshore manufacturing. We're gonna bring all the jobs back overseas and our economy is going to boom. And we're going to stop protecting the rest of the world. We're going to let the rest of the world fight and have their problems. And we're going to be siloed to a more regionalized multipolar world where we produce most of our goods here and we're very reliant on self-reliant in North America. That could be the ultimate end result of this because of political pressure, geopolitical pressure, the shock of the pandemic. What exactly comes out of this? I know it's going to be positive, but there's pain in the middle. And we're still in that pain period. Now, people's lives, and this is all about the length of a human life and human lives have kind of been pushed out a little bit farther. So, um, the, the date is probably more like 2030 versus 2025. So I still think we have uh, probably more like eight years left instead of three. Um, but you know, we'll see, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but it's going to be an interesting and challenging time, uh, to make money, but you can do it by focusing on businesses that are in the need in crisis periods, Big tech companies, not so much. Real, like I said, molecules in the ground, things that run day-to-day life, that's going to be in high demand and high value in this fourth journey. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another InvestTalk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Talk,
0: Good night.